Well, good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you. Let's pray that God would help us to think about uh, that pretty compelling passage. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we know that um, nothing good happens without the work of your Spirit. We pray that you would speak to our hearts through the pages of Scripture this morning. Help us to believe and apply the things that we need to. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there may not really be a need for me to give today's sermon on forgiveness, looking at Matthew chapter 18, because the last time I was at this service, which was seven weeks ago, the topic was on forgiveness. We were looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, that section of the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus says we should forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. In the same way we've been forgiven, we should forgive others. Now, no doubt since then, since the 1st of October, you have all gone out and applied that. And you've been looking for opportunities to forgive people left, right and centre until you couldn't find anyone else to forgive. And you've been overcome with people approaching you, uh, seeking forgiveness from you for all sorts of things and, and forgiving you for all sorts of things. What a marvellous time you must be having. And so thoughts like, you know, I could never forgive her, or, you know, don't get mad, get even, or I don't suffer fools gladly, these thoughts never occur to you anymore. And attitudes such as, you know, revenge and retaliation and cold shouldering and, uh, you know, dwelling on grudges and things like that and creating complex scenarios of what you'd like to do in your mind to people never occur to you. People look at you all and say, see how they forgive one another. Now, that's what should have happened. I haven't done a survey and I honestly don't know, but I suspect that's not quite the way it is. I'm sure if we did a survey, many of us could tell some wonderful stories about forgiveness and being forgiven, but mixed in them, with them would be a whole lot of other stories, I think, on non-forgiveness. See, some things in life are very hard to do and forgiveness is certainly one of them. When we're in a position to offer someone forgiveness... Uh, our old nature cries out for retaliation or our pound of flesh or we have some incredibly cutting thing we'd like to say which we just can barely contain. Forgiveness is hard. C.S. Lewis wrote that everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive and it's true isn't it? It's hard, it costs but it's needed of course isn't it? I mean, look around the world, look at the Middle East, look at Rwanda, look at South Africa, look closer to home, look at your extended family, your circle of friends, your school, your workplace, and even, dare I say it, our church here. Forgiveness is hard, but it's needed. Now, Jesus spoke on the topic of forgiveness back in Matthew chapter 6, and he returns to it here in Matthew chapter 18, presumably because his first century audience needed to be reminded about the topic. And I think it's a fair, fairly safe to say that our 21st audience, century audience, needs to be reminded about it as well. Now, we've just come up to this by so-called chance, not really chance, is it? We're just going through Matthew, we're up to Matthew chapter 18, this is the passage for the day, verses 21 to 35, hopefully you've picked up a sermon outline, and we're going to be thinking about uh, forgiving others, firstly the mandate, then the extent, then the motive, then the danger and then the vision. So that's where we're going. Let's start with the mandate to forgive. Now forgiveness has always been needed because throughout history the world has been a very unforgiving place. Forgiveness was needed in the ancient world, very famous ancient text by Homer, uh, the Iliad, 
probably haven't read it, but you've heard about it, you know, the Iliad, the great work by Homer. The plot of the Iliad has been described as being driven almost completely by the pursuit of blood, justice and vengeance. So that great ancient work, not much forgiveness in it, it seems. And forgiveness is, or lack of forgiveness is also seen in modern epics, such as the Princess Bride movie as well. If you've ever seen that, Inigo Montoya, what does he do? You know, he wants to go out and kill the person who killed his father. He's driven by it. I mean, great plot line. Lousy in real life, though. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, uh, who recently deceased, says that our society cannot live without forgiveness. When it's absent, the results are horrifying. Once again, look at the Middle East, look at Rwanda, look at South Africa, look at your extended family, look at your church, look at your workplace, etc., etc. So it's perhaps not surprising that Jesus talks about forgiveness even in the Lord's Prayer. Remember back in Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. You know, forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven those who've sinned against us. Now, uh, some may feel that, um, I wonder whether this is an optional extra, because it seems to be pretty closely tied that our being forgiven is linked to our forgiving of others. Do we really need to do that? I mean, it's pretty hard. Is it an optional extra as a Christian? Now, you know, if you go out to buy a car, you can buy the basic model or you can get the model with the optional extras. You know, I don't know, the, the power steering or the better sound system or little lights which go on when they're too close to the car in front or auto lane correction or whatever. You know, can you go for the basic model Christian life and not worry about that optional extra about forgiving others? Well, uh, no, sadly not. It's a standard feature uh, which has to be part of our lives. Because after the Lord's Prayer, the next few verses from Matthew chapter 16, verses 14 and 15 read, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Lovely. Now, lovely is not in the text, that's just me. Verse 15, But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Not much of an optional extra in there, is it? Now, if you're here for my October 1 sermon, which no doubt you can all recall very clearly, uh, the point was that forgiven people forgive. Now, this is not because it's the act of forgiving others which earns us our salvation. I mean, we're saved by grace, not works, aren't we? But a forgiving spirit is a sign that we have been saved. If we have been saved, we will be wanting to forgive others. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I'm saying we'll be wanting to do that. So, Let's get to Matthew 18, look at this passage a bit more closely and consider the extent of forgiveness. How much should we actually forgive? So Peter asks this question in verse 21. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now he's basically asking, what's the limit? Now uh, apparently the Jewish rabbis at the time said you should forgive someone up to three times for the same offence. They do it wrong, you forgive them. You do it wrong, you forgive them. You do it wrong, you forgive them. Do it wrong, well, that's it. They've had their three chances. So Peter, when he sort of says, should I give up to seven times, he probably thinks, I am being super generous. Jesus' response is well known, verse 22. Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, that doesn't mean you count up to 77 and on the 78th time, you can think, right, forgiveness is through now, I've given, I've, I've given enough opportunities to you. Basically, he's saying, Forgiveness should know no limits. It's unlimited. We've got to keep offering forgiveness to people. 
Now, I thought it might be good at this point to make a few comments on uh, what I think forgiveness does and doesn't entail. Uh, I'll start with what it does entail. Tim Keller uh, has written a book on forgiveness. Some of you may have read it. And he suggests that forgiveness involves three things. Firstly, we need to identify with the wrongdoer. I mean, that person, like us, we're all fallen and fallible human beings. Identify with the wrongdoer. Secondly, he says that we need to inwardly pay the debt. We bear the cost for the wrong. We absorb it. We pay for it, not the other person. And then thirdly, he says that we should want good for the wrongdoer. Now, Keller adds uh, that we need to forgive others, hopefully in the aim of reconciliation in most circumstances. I mean, there are one or two circumstances which I could go into where perhaps reconciliation may not be possible, but we should want reconciliation. We should want repentance from the other person when, we seek, you know, when we're talking about forgiveness, but we should always uh, seek to forgive even where restoration isn't possible. So that's forgiveness. What doesn't forgiveness mean? It shouldn't mean that we underplay the seriousness of the wrongs they done to us. If it was extremely hurtful, there's no point in saying, well, it wasn't that bad. You know, we don't underplay it. And secondly, it doesn't mean that if we forgive someone that we necessarily place ourselves or someone else back in a dangerous or a really harmful situation. Now, um, I mentioned this on the 1st of October as well. There are some uh, very challenging and tricky situations which some people find themselves in which can involve um, physical or sexual ab abuse and whereas forgiveness is still a relevant issue there I think those sorts of let's call them extreme circumstances are best dealt with um, individually with detailed one-on-one -on -one discussion and counselling with a trusted other Christian person who can help you there. Having noted that we're talking about forgiveness in general here and I'm going to ask you the question and I know the answer to it already. Have you ever struggled to forgive someone? You all have, or you've got poor memories. How can we pull it off? How can we pull off forgiveness? Because it's so jolly hard some of the time. Well, let me tell you a bit about two people's predicaments. One of you, you're going to forget, you're going to guess. Connor, where's Connor Clark here? Who am I going to mention next? Yeah, great. Good. Corey Temboom. That wasn't pre-planned pre either. So... One of the ladies I'm really quite a fan of is Corrie ten Boom, a middle-aged Dutch Christian lady who, during the Second World War, sheltered and hid Jewish people from the Nazis and also members of the Dutch resistance. Uh, many people were saved, I think, as a result of her work, but she was caught by the Nazis and she and her sister ended up in a Nazi concentration camp where she and her sister were brutalised in the way that concentration camps did and her sister died. Now, Curry survived the war, but after the war, as you may know, she became something of an international speaker, speaking in many countries right around the world. Now, the war ended in 1945, right? 1947, she found herself in Germany, speaking on the gospel and forgiveness. And she's just given a talk in Germany on forgiveness and the gospel, when after the, the, the session was over, she saw a man walking towards her, and she recognised him and was one of the guards from Raven's book, Concentration Camp. She recognised him, he didn't recognise her. You can imagine how she would feel. And then he came up to him, apparently he'd become a Christian. And he said to her, look, it's just so wonderful to know that I've been forgiven by God as I've become a Christian and I've been forgiven for a lot of the horrible things I did during the war. I don't know whether you remember me, but um, I was one of the guards at Ravensbrook. Now, she certainly remembered him, but he didn't recognise her. And he says, look, I wonder whether you could forgive me as well. Will you forgive me? And he put out her hand. And uh, she writes in one of her, her books, um, 
really forgiving him at that point was the last thing she felt like doing. How did she do it? Well, we'll come back to it in a second. Another name you won't know, which Connor won't be able to guess, is Dan Hamilton. And Dan Hamilton uh, was, uh, wrote a very um, apparently well-regarded essay on forgiveness, which was published by the Christian publishing house InterVarsity Press. And in his essay, he describes forgiveness and he uses himself the test case. He described how he worked through the issue of forgiveness in his personal circumstance, where as a younger man, he'd been engaged, his fiancée had broken off the engagement and he had to work through forgiving her. And his essay is about, you know, illustrates forgiveness through using, using his personal example, as I understand it. How did he forgive the lady who broke off the engagement? Well, we'll come back to that a little later too. But let's get into the actual real story of today. We're looking at forgiving others, the motive. And here we'll start at verse 23 of Matthew 18. Jesus tells that now very well-known uh, story, made even more well-known by Paul Graham's uh, rendering of it uh, a bit earlier with the cars and the father and the crashes. Let me read from verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, that's sometimes rendered 10,000 talents, same deal, uh, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, I don't know whether you realise how much 10,000 bags of gold really was at the time, but I've read that in the first century, if you were a day labourer, you're a labourer, to get one bag of gold, you would need to work for 20 years to get one bag of gold. So... To get 10,000 bags of gold, I did my maths, you would need to work for 200,000 years. Basically, this guy has absolutely no hope. He has Buckley's chance of paying off this debt. Which means that he, his wife, his family, every, you know, everyone associated with him, they are doomed. There is absolutely no way this guy could replay his debt. And so with no other option, and perhaps not even thinking about it, in verse 26, he falls to his knees, he begs, and he says, be patient with me, I will pay you back everything. I mean, as if. What, you want me to wait for 200,000 years till he can pay off the debt? It's just not going to happen. There is no hope, no chance of any sort for this guy. But then shock horror, verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. The unpayable debt was cancelled. Now, you're all smart people, you of course realise this is a reference to us if we're Christians. If we are Christians, our unpayable debt, absolutely unpayable, has been cancelled by Jesus. It's the sort of cancelling you want, isn't it? Well, all of us are absolutely and utterly and hopelessly lost without God saving us. We have zero times zero chance of paying off uh, for our wrongdoings. I don't know how often you reflect on your shortcomings and wrongdoings or your sins or however you want to refer to it, but if you a few minutes reflection on what you've done, what you've said and what you've thought, particularly what you've thought, I mean, imagine if your thoughts were known to others. What a humiliating experience it would have. Think of some of the things you've thought, you know. Um, we have absolutely no hope. 
You know, compared to other people, we might be quite pleasant and lovely people, but compared to the holiness and purity of God, we are just falling so far short. There is no way, we have no hope of saving ourselves. But of course, uh, Jesus has paid for our sins. If we're Christians, we've asked him to forgive us, we're seeking to follow him, and all of that, our debt has been cancelled. Now, I think it'd be fair to say that if we've been forgiven little, we love little, but if we've been forgiven much, we love much. The more we realise that Jesus has forgiven us, the more we realise how much Jesus absolutely loves us. Uh, It's really good to reflect on our shortcomings for all sorts of reasons. So if you've been forgiven much, you'll love much, won't you? Well, you should, or we should, and this servant should, shouldn't he? So this guy's been forgiven his 10,000 bags of gold debt, something it would have taken him 200,000 years to pay off, and in sheer gratitude, he goes out and he starts forgiving people, left, right and centre, 100, 100 you know, silver coins, forgiven. 200 silver coins, forgiven. He's forgiving everyone? No, he's not, is he? That's not what he does, because we read about the danger when it comes to forgiveness in verse 28. But when the servant went out, this is the guy who's been forgiven, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. That's, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Now, 100 silver coins I've read is about the equivalent of four months' wages, so it's not an insignificant debt. But compared to what he's been forgiven, it is nothing. It's infinitesimal. It's minuscule. So the man who's been forgiven much refuses to forgive even a little. And word gets back to the master, who is rightly furious about it. Verse 33, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I'd had on you? In anger the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Do you think he was ever going to be able to pay back all he owed? No. Uh, It's an eternal sentence. And then, did you notice the application, which was the last verse? This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from the heart. God is a God of mercy. He's also a God of justice. And not forgiving others has its consequences. Now, remember I said that we don't get saved by forgiving others, but if we are saved, we'll be seeking to forgive others. Tim Keller says of this, if we will not offer others forgiveness, if we don't want to do that, it shows that we did not truly repent and receive God's forgiveness. Well, back to the story. In this story, if you're like me, do you look at the unforgiving servant and think, what is wrong with this guy? I mean, is he amazingly stupid? Does he see absolutely no linkage between the fact that he's been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold and then he refuses to go out and forgive this piddly little amount? Is he just absolutely overcome and able to think because of rampant self-interest? What's wrong with the guy? That's what I'm inclined to think. But if you call yourself a Christian and there's someone you refuse to forgive... You are that man. You are that man if you're refusing to try and forgive someone who needs to be forgiven. Why won't you forgive them? Well, because obviously it's because it's hard. But forgiving others is both crucially important, it's possible, and it's life-changing. We all need to forgive give forgiving others our best shot. Obviously, we look to God and we won't be perfect 
but we need to be working hard at forgiveness. Which brings us to the, the, vision, uh, the vision for forgiving others, our final section. Now, the gospel of God's forgiveness, I think, gives us, or I think I know, it gives us the resources to forgive others. Let's see how it worked for Corrie ten Boom and for Dan Hamilton. Remember, Corrie ten Boom, after the talk, ex-guard comes up, would you please forgive me for the horrors of the concentration camp? Well, Corrie ten Boom, as she writes about it, realised that she says that forgiveness really had to be an act of the will. So she prayed, Jesus, help me. Very good thing to do in these sorts of situations. And she mechanically thrust out her hand. She says it was, you know, just, she did it. You know. But then she writes, and this is really quite an unusual experience, as she did so, it was like a current running through her body, a healing warmth flooded her being, and she felt that she could say from her heart, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And she writes that she'd never known God's love so intensely as she did then. Really quite a spectacular, and I would say, unusual experience. But that's how God helped her in that situation. What about Dan Harrison, the guy whose engagement was broken off? Less spectacular, but I think equally powerful. He said um, that when his fiancée pulled out of the engagement, they were, they were Christians, I think, he said he, he forgave her by lots of different small acts over the course of a year. And I'll, I'll read these out. So what did forgiveness for him entail? Well, whenever he spoke to her, he refrained from rehashing the past. He endeavoured to renounce jealousy and self-pity in his own thinking. Uh, he prayed for her when she moved into other relationships. And when he praised her, he praised her and spoke of her value to people, though he wanted to slice away at her reputation. Lots of different things, conscious decisions, things he willed over an extended period of time, that was the way he did it there. Now, uh, Corrie's and Dan's experiences of forgiveness really are quite different. But I suspect if we could interview them both, they would both say that forgiveness is important, not optional. That it requires an act of the will. We may not feel like it. Uh, that it's inspired by God's forgiveness and it requires God's help. And if we've been forgiven and if we're seeking to forgive others, that, I think, can be infectious. It can help create the sort of forgiving community we want to be part of. Now, uh, I'm sure many here would remember the Oatlands tragedy of February 2020. That was when four children are out going to buy an ice cream. A driver by the name of uh, Samuel Davidson, under the influence of drugs and alcohol, drives off the road and ran over the four kids and killed them all. I, I think you probably remember all that, um, that situation. Uh, Daniel and Leela Abdullah were parents of three of the children who were killed and so they were Maronite Christians and they said at the time that they forgave the driver, which of course was something rather which really captured the attention of many people in Australia and I suspect many people here. Well, in the latest issue of Eternity newspaper, which I think might even be outside, uh, certainly online, um, the story is updated about what's happened since then and, and a bit more information. So Danny Abdullah, Abdullah sorry, uh, was, I think, spoken to and he's asked how could he forgive the drug-affected driver and then he said it, wouldn't have been it would have been impossible without the power of God. 
and he indicated that being forgiven by the creator of the whole world, that's what changes us. So, you know, forgiven by God, helped empower him to forgive the driver of that car. But it doesn't stop there, because this forgiveness impacted uh, Davidson, who is now in jail for an extended period of time. Because Davidson has apparently, according to eternity, become a Christian in prison. Danny seems to be in contact with Davidson and when he asked him why he'd become a Christian, Davidson in prison apparently said, because I want what you have, your act of forgiveness saved my life in prison. So the act of being forgiven by this man helped brought this guy apparently to Christ. Forgiveness can be infectious. Let me conclude. The Christian life is born of, it starts out with being forgiven, doesn't it? But then forgiveness should then characterise the lives of forgiven people and we'll have plenty of opportunity to exercise it. Now, it's not easy. I don't think Corrie Ten Boom or Danny Abdullah or um, the other guy, who's, who, Dan Harrison, none of them found it easy, I don't think. It's not easy. We need to be reminded of it, so thank goodness it's in both Matthew 6 and Matthew 18. We may not be perfect at it, uh, but we need in Christ to give it our best shot, being inspired by the fact that we've been forgiven and seeking God's strength to forgive others. Big idea is pretty simple. Forgiven people forgive. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, it's a pretty simple idea this morning, uh, but it doesn't mean it's an easy idea. Lord, we do pray that as followers of you, that as we reflect and even the, we don't even know how much we've been forgiven, but even what we do know is we reflect on that. Please help us to forgive others. We pray that we would prioritise that as an essential part of our lives. And Lord, we do pray that um, if there are people here uh, who need to forgive others, that you'll give them the courage and the strength and the opportunity to do it, regardless of how it's received. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.